Amen. Thank, thank you, Mott family, for reading the scripture this morning. Thank you, Matthew and band, for leading us so well in music. Hey, you know, we have a Spotify, uh, you call it a channel, right? That's how well I know the internet. Um, Spotify, you can listen to the, our music on Spotify. So you're driving down the road, you're feeling anxious or whatever, listen to some of the music we have here. It's awesome. Share it with your friends. This morning, we continue our uh, sermon series on life on the vine, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, in some translations, when it comes to goodness, it's translated generosity, generosity. And I think this topic of generosity comes in to us at a perfect moment in the life of our congregation. I mentioned to you last week the results of our fireside fundraiser um, where as we gathered together for that evening, it was $45,000. One night! That was awesome. Way to go. Generous. Which is really great. Yeah, there you go. Reflecting on the event uh, that we shared last Saturday, I believe our stewardship elder, Carol Chafee, reminded us how much fun it is to give and how fun it can be to give together. There were so many, and so many of you prepared these wonderful auction items, offering creative gift baskets with cool things to do and to learn. There was a photography lessons uh, that were auctioned off. Um, a date night basket that had chocolate and some other things in there that made, you know, some little bit of wine. So that was going to be fun. Go on a picnic with your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Um, there were baskets. Uh, there was also uh, live auction items, uh, golf, handmade patio benches, vacation home rentals. So many wonderful gifts. Generous gifts. As the evening progressed, uh, the generosity grew contagious. Participants gave above and beyond what these auction items probably were worth. Um, I purchased an $11 plastic football for $140. That's Carol Chafee. She got us. She got us. Now, the plastic football did have a former NFL Rams quarterback signature on it, but uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, though. And I've been getting subtle hints at home that this is not staying at home. Oh, and by the way, as a brief update, um, through your generosity and the generosity of our matching donor, uh, it's no longer $45,000. It has reached $150,000. Now we can clap. That's to finish off our fireside room and probably beyond, which is great. Great start. Thank you for your participation and generosity. Generosity provides hope, not only for those who give, but also those who receive when you receive generosity. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was reminding my friend that I was told by a a member of the former congregation that I was a part of, an older guy, 
He's no longer with us. He's with the Lord now. But he said to me, when I was just having kids, and he said to me, he goes, John, I want to just give you something you will not regret. You will not regret spending money on vacations with your family. You won't regret it. And I had little kids, and I'm like, how am I going to do He goes, reserve the campground. Get the, rent the RV. Book the flight. You will never regret it. And he's right. I'm so glad we spent the money on vacations. What we did with the kids, it was so much great. The memories, the pictures, they're priceless. You know that. There's something else I don't think I'm ever going to regret. And that is giving to the church. All these years, Sharon and I have been giving and percentage. Sometimes the percentage is more and sometimes it was less, but we kept striving. I don't think we'll ever give, regret that. I'll never look back, oh gosh, why did I give money to the church? I'm thankful for the opportunity. But I want to be honest with you right now. I'm always honest with you, but I want to be serious with you. I, uh, I'm not always Mr. Cheerful Giver. <laughs> I am not. In fact, there are times I get so anxious and afraid, and I start wondering, get, wake up in the middle of the night, how am I going to pay this? I'm going to run out. Oh, man, how's this cover that bill, manage the college tuition and living expenses, auto repair, raising costs of groceries? Maybe it would be wiser just to hold off for a while, maybe see how things play out, give more when such and such happens. Now, you don't need to raise your hand. Anybody else have that conversation in, in your, with yourself? At least for me, when it starts in my head and then it just quickly goes right into my heart. And it's troubling to me how fast my anxious feelings of scarcity spoil the fruit of generosity. It just happens. It won't come as a surprise. We're not alone in this. We're not the first ones to wrestle with this. The good news is that the early church did too. And there's a story recorded in each of, our, in each of the Gospels that points to the fruit of generosity that helps us understand what generosity is. It's the disciples and Jesus. It's out of the Gospel of John. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Sorry, I'm going to do an advertisement. If you go with us in May, when we go to Israel, you're going to be able to cross the Sea of Galilee on a boat with others from our church and from Laguna Press. It's going to be awesome. Okay, advertisement over. The good news, here's what Jesus says, or the gospel says. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd of people followed Jesus, and they had seen the signs he had done, healing sick people. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. There he sat with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus looked, and he saw a large crowd coming toward him. So he said to Philip, where can we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, suppose we were able to buy enough bread for each person to have just a bite. That would take more than half a year's pay. Another of his disciples spoke up. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He said, Here's a boy with five small loaves of barley bread. He also has two small fish. 
But how far will that go with such a large crowd? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, in Matthew's account, he's a bit more inclusive, and we get a better idea how many people were there. He says, stating the number of those gathered was 5,000 men besides the women and the children. We've got thousands of people. Then Jesus looked, took the loaves, and gave thanks. He handed out the bread to those who were seated. He gave them as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When all of them had enough to eat, Jesus spoke to his disciples, gather the leftover pieces, he said. Don't waste anything. So they gathered what was left over from the five barley loaves. They filled 12 baskets with the pieces left by those who had eaten. The people saw the sign that Jesus did. They began to say, this must be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I have often wondered, why is this miracle recorded in each of our gospel accounts? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, it's the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. You know, raising of Lazarus, that was pretty cool. The guy walks out of a tomb dressed like a mummy. I would think that maybe got top bill, but no. It's the feeding of the multitudes. It's quite miraculous for sure. Indeed, people fed few loaves, handful of fish. Why? You know, often... In the gospel accounts, the disciples are an image of the church. You know, when we've gone through the story of the disciples in the boat and the sea and the raging waters and they're afraid, it's like the church, you know, fearful. And until they, they rely and put their eyes on Jesus and Jesus calms the storm. How the disciples respond to Jesus is something of a mirror to the church, for the church. So perhaps this miracle struck a personal chord with the disciples. In each account, they, they themselves felt the scarcity and the doubt that followed. They felt it personally. They remembered the generosity, how their generosity faded under the pressure of fleeing. There would not be enough. The focus was on what they didn't have rather than what they did. Philip was the first one to fail the test. He simply states the reality, look, Jesus, if we were able to find enough bread to feed all this huge crowd, even if we did find a, a place with enough commercially available, say a Costco or something like that, do you realize how many ATM trips we'd have to go to get enough money? In Mark's account, the disciples are not named, but they all say, send the crowd away. Send the, send the problem away. You give them something to eat, Jesus says to the disciples. And they all respond, it's impossible. Here in John's account, Andrew gets creative and says, look, I found a 10-year-old boy, and he has his lunch. Why don't we, this is all we got. What do you think? It's hard to know the tone of Andrew here. Is he being sarcastic? Is he 
being snarky with Jesus? Or is it faith? Andrew was there when Jesus saved the wedding host from dishonor, from shame, because he you know, changed the water to wine. The party continued on. Andrew was there when the Samaritan woman came, and then the Samaritan woman went down, as we studied last week, and the whole town comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Andrew was there when he heard the healing words of Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. Your faith has healed you. So maybe Andrew is demonstrating faith. But watch how quickly it drains away. How could this meager offering do any good for such a huge problem? Without responding to the disciples' sense of scarcity, Jesus says, all right, have them everybody sit down. And in last supper fashion, he takes the bread, he looks up to heaven, and he breaks the bread, and he continues to break the bread, and giving everybody as much as they want. There's a lot left over. Back to the question, why this miracle? Why is this one repeated? And the only miracle that is repeated in all four Gospels. Well, I, my notion is that it helps the church and teaches the church how to cultivate the fruit of generosity. It begins when we trust God and focus on what we have and not what we don't. Trusting God, focusing on what we have, not on what we don't. Because Jesus knows when we start focusing on what we don't have, it leaves our hearts vulnerable to things that spoil the fruit of generosity, like greed and selfishness, fear, anxiety, worry. The fear of scarcity can invade all areas of our lives. Maybe you feel like your efforts are inadequate. I don't have enough energy, imagination, and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, I don't have enough strength to handle that difficult relationship. I don't have the ability to be generous in my dealings with that colleague at work that drives me nuts. Like the disciples, what you do have, for some reason, you feel it's too meager to help Jesus' audacious goal of feeding the hungry crowd. Jesus' audacious goal of people experiencing God's mercy and grace through your life. I don't have it. I don't have enough forgiveness. Not for the boy, right? <laughs> he looks up to the carpenter's eyes and wonders in faith, what's going to happen next with my lunch? Perhaps cultivating the fruit of generosity begins with trusting the voice of God in our hearts. Child, I love you. And I am here. I know you don't have enough. That's why I'm with you. Trust me. Do you remember the movie Forrest Gump? I shared this story with some of you before. There's a chapter in that movie about Lieutenant Dan and a, a shrimp boat company. You may recall the scene where Forrest, he has returned home from being a shrimp boat captain in Louisiana. And he's returned home to take care of his aging mother. So he's out in the front yard, he's looking through the mailbox, 
And he opens up a letter. And in this letter, uh, there's an, the Apple Corporation logo on that top of that page. And staring at that letter, he says this, I never did go back to work with Lieutenant Dan. Though he did take care of my Bubba Gump money, he got us invested in some kind of fruit company. So then I got a call from him that we don't need to worry about money anymore. I said, that's good. One less thing. Now, Mama said, there's only so much fortune a person really needs, and the rest is for showing off. So I gave a bunch to the Foursquare Gospel Church. And then the scene cuts to the members of that church, and they're outside, and they're watching a crane put a cross on top of the steeple. It's a memorable scene because the first place he gives money was to the church. I wondered why. And then I recalled how earlier in the film, when Forrest was without hope, he was lost. And somebody says to him, hey, why don't you go to the church? You never know what's going to show up there. So he goes to the church, and he prays, and he prays about his dream, and he hears the message of God, and he says, I have hope. He finds hope in the church. It was with the church where he found hope, and that's where he goes and is generous because that's where he found hope in that church. And when hope is realized, crowd. There's an audacious mission that God has called us to as a people of faith. To reach out to this community with love and grace. To invite others into an active relationship with Jesus Christ. It's audacious, dear friends. Finishing off buildings, building a preschool. Inviting people to be a part of our church life. You know on Wednesday night, there was about 140 people out in our parking lot doing this Halloween festival thing. It was so much fun. Building relationships, helping, making connection. Generosity supports the mission that God has called us to. Dear friends, we have found hope here. You have found hope here. I have found hope here. And that's how we can be generous. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message and reminder about when we feel we don't have enough and we focus on what we don't have, we forget about what we do have and what you have provided for us. Providing relationship, providing a church, providing friendships, providing love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and generosity. God, as we give back now, we pray for these gifts. We thank you that you have given to us out of your abundance, and so we give a portion of that back to you out of gratitude for how you have loved us and the mercy we have received. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.